0: You're listening to the Irish Times. I don't know where to
1: start this morning's Added Time podcast. Go on. I mean, I do know where to start. Like, everything has been planned out. We've done, you know, we, we don't do this off the top of our heads. But uh, allow me the conceit. Yeah. I mean, because we could start with uh, the amazing things that are happening in world sport. Rory McIlroy won 15 million quid last night. He did? Nobody cares. Yeah, uh, Nicholas Roach is uh, leading the Vuelta a Espana. He's in the red jersey this morning. He is. Nobody cares. Uh, someone dear to our hearts. Uh, the NFL is starting in a couple of weeks. Andrew Luck, like the sixth, seventh best quarterback in the league, just retired over the weekend.
2: Just decided he couldn't be ours. Just done.
1: Mm. We don't have time for that. What do we have time for? And we will be talking. Uh, the apocalypse that's happening with the rugby team later and we'll be talking to Joanna Reardon about the women's football semifinals yesterday. But what is happening is the Ashes. It's incredible. Nothing beats the Ashes.
2: It, like a, a <laughs> few weeks ago on the day of the Wimbledon men's final, I, I ignored right, the Wimbledon yeah. men's final to watch... <laughs>
1: Federer and Nadal were playing in the women's Wimbledon men's final and you said, nah.
2: Because I ended up watching the most insane game of cricket of all time. <laughs> Uh, which was England beating the Kiwis in the World Cup final. And it turns out something madder has happened. (laughs) Uh, You're going to have to explain to people what happened.
1: Okay, so over the weekend, uh, England won the third test at Headingley in the Ashes. Uh, uh, And basically, their all-rounder, Ben Stokes won the third test. Uh, And I was so pumped yesterday by it happening, I texted our resident English cricket fan In the office, Patrick Madden and I said, "You have to come on and tell us all about it." Welcome to the podcast. Morning. Uh, (laughs) How are you? How are you? Are you okay? um,
0: Yeah, said boring old Test cricket. eh? (laughs)
1: Um, To give people a a notion, you are going to the next Test, like you're going to the Old Trafford, uh, Old Trafford Test. Like you are. This is you're so totally into this.
0: Yeah. So yesterday afternoon was on the verge of. Tearing my tickets up with uh, Australia about to move 2-0 <laughs> up. But yeah, two days at the Old Trafford Test, going with my granddad on the first day. His first Ashes Test match was in uh, 1948. Yeah, uh, bunked off school to go and watch Don Bradman. I love it.
1: Um, Don Bradman, which, uh, only the second best batsman ever to play in the Ashes after
0: Ben Stokes. Well, and Jack Leach. <laughs> and uh, Jack Leach, yeah. <laughs> So explain to the uninitiated what happened here. Um, I mean, if you kind of, you look at the the numbers, what happened yesterday was pretty, pretty bonkers. So England... Needed 359 to win in mm. the last innings, which represented the the 10th highest run chase in history and England's highest ever. Mm. Um, also, the highest ever in England since 1948. And... I mean, this England headed into this test, buoyed basically by the absence of Steve Smith and the emergence of Jofra Archer. Australia hung on for a draw in the second test, having at Lords, having won the first at Edgbaston. And England started quite well on Thursday, bowled them out for 179. Um, it was actually Ben Stokes bowled fairly poorly around tea, and That's probably right, let yeah. the Australians get more uh, more than they should have done. But then, having put themselves in a brilliant position, England did in England. And how? Uh, uh, out for 67. It was one of the most lamentable. Batting displays ever seen. <laughs> and and um, there's plenty of competition in, in the yeah, last there's year. Plenty. Or two. I think it was yeah. England's 10th worst <laughs> bowled Ball, out by the West Indies for 51 in Kingston 10 years ago, is one mm. that stands out in the memory. But given the circumstances, but with the Ashes, the series on the line mm. to be bowled out for 67, and I mean, Ben Stokes played one of the worst shots you've ever seen to get out for eight. Mm. He chased at a bus, it would have been given as a wide probably. Um, but that kind of set up what followed then. Um, so England bowled Australia out for 246 uh, in their second innings. And it was a, sp- a spell from Ben Stokes. Bowled 24 overs and four balls uh on Saturday nonstop. evening, yeah. There was, he, he was taken off uh, as Jofra Arch came on, but he came off with cramp after four balls. Stokes took 350-odd. Um, it was relentless. Mm. Um, and basically gave England a, a glimmer a sniff and that's but that's it, all it was it was
1: so unlikely that they would chase 359 uh, and especially like they had got I watched the Jesse before I went to Croke Park they had gotten to lunch having lost uh, only one more overnight so that so they had gotten there they, they had the, had it done like at lunch they needed like 140 odd with 6 wickets in hands, very doable and then they did in England and went like bang 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 uh, Butler got out with a stupid, uh, a stupid run out, uh, and so they were left with seventy three to get for the final wicket. When Stokes was there, Stokes was hanging in there, um, playing very patiently, and then Jack Leach came out. And so Stokes went, Stokes basically went 20-20 on it and belted the thing all over the place.
0: Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that on Saturday night, England lost two early wickets, mm. which is part of the course sure. at the minute. And Stokes made two runs off 50 balls um, That's right. yeah. to, to dig in when it was needed with uh, Joe Root, who was out early on um, Sunday morning. And, and Stokes actually took a back seat throughout the day. Johnny Besto chased a new ball around kind of before lunch and then he was out for 36. Um, and Stokes was still there, but he was... Quickly running out of running out of partners, and so he'd basically decided. Right, yeah, this I, has to be done by me. Well, it was, yeah, it, was only, it wasn't going to be leech. So uh, <laughs> despite his ninety-two against Ireland at Lords. it was a proper innings, though. It wasn't. Oh yeah, it was he wasn't slogging. I mean, the, I think the there was a the real momentum changer was the the switch hit
2: off which
0: went for six. You loved that,
2: Pat. I absolutely loved it. Because <laughs> what it reminded me of was the penalty shootout that England had, this sounds like a jump, against Italy a few years ago where Perlo, um chipped the ball yeah, down yeah, the centre. Yeah. And he changed the tenor of the entire shootout yeah. with this moment of impudence. Yeah. And I felt that was what Stokes did basically for anybody listening. He, he essentially stood around the ball and hit it hurling style yeah. and put it out for six. And the entire crowd seemed to go, Oh, oh my shit. God! If he can do <laughs> that, we can do this. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly the atmosphere started going through the roof. Because the
1: thing was, then he had to, he had to get seventy three off that, that last uh, that last wicket. And as you say, on the day before, he had got his he had got his first his first two runs off seventy balls. Uh, but now he just totally changed and got his, got like they had a stand of seventy three for the last wicket. He got seventy one of them. Uh, Leach got, got one, one Leech, and there was yeah. one extra, uh, and he did it in forty three
0: balls. He totally turned, changed the changed the thing around. Yeah, his, his second fifty was came off forty seven balls, yeah. uh, and he barely he didn't even acknowledge uh, when he reached his hundred yeah. because there was still work yeah. to be done. Um, but I mean, then there's just this it, the madness at the end. Yeah. With Australia had one review left, and they threw it away. Cummins thought he got Leach LBW, but yeah. it pitched outside leg it was going a mile down, um, and then the following over uh, Nathan Lyon got Stokes absolutely plumb and uh, Joel Wilson who's had a bit of a torrid time didn't give it the umpire didn't give it and so they had no review they've, left yeah I mean, you kind of felt the over before that that could be that could be sad. and semi. beyond
1: that they had, they should have run him out uh, but uh, Nathan Lyon dropped the ball yeah which at the side of the stumps
0: he, it was almost too easy but he was looking his eyes were on the bales before yeah. the, the ball had arrived um, and I mean you look at uh, and I say Jack Leach does deserve a big mention here I mean, they, they did a deal where Stokes would try and Face five every over yeah. and then just f- farm the strike. Yeah. Leach should have one ball to survive and the image of him stopping to, to wipe the steam off his glasses. Aye, before. You could,
1: I mean, you couldn't make it up. Uh, everybody today should seek out some of the writing on this stuff. Uh, from some of the English writers yesterday. Uh, find Gideon Hay in The Australian. Find Jonathan Liu in The Indy. Find Mike Atherton in The uh, London Times. Some of the writing around this is, has just completely met the moment. And it's fantastic. We don't have enough time to talk about it, to, uh, talk about it anymore. But its just it was just some of the most incredible sport that uh, I've seen in a long time. So... Uh, that was the cricket we will get on with the rest as I say later on we're going to have uh, Joanna Reardon on to talk about uh, the women's football semi-finals yesterday in Croke Park but we will start with the rugby uh, the spectre of the rugby in Twickenham over the weekend Gavin uh, Comiskey and Jerry Thornley are in thank you for coming in lads That's uh, talk us down off the ledge how, how bad is
3: this? Yeah it's pretty bad yeah. mm, it's pretty bad it's uh Certainly goes down as the worst warm-up match Ireland have ever had. The worst defeat in the history against England and the worst defeat under Joe Schmidt in the hmm. 69 matches, which on the eve of the World Cup is not exactly well-timed.
1: There's no gain saying this. There's no kind of going, ah, it's only a warm-up, ah,
3: it's only... Because, of course, it's only a warm-up for England as well. Like, like, what? They look to me like a side that hadn't done, enough, played, done an awful lot of rugby training they done a lot of fitness training. Then why take a
4: game in Twickenham? <laughs> you know, yeah. Against know, the, what, just, what looks yeah. like
3: the best team in the world all of a sudden. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was just about to say that.
4: Mm. Yeah.
3: Mm. The, the gas thing
4: was... Uh, Stuart Barnes made a good point. He goes... Uh, why play... It's not about prepping four years. The World Cup is about its four months of preparation. That was one of the things that came out of the tournament. And Ireland... You can either go, like, jump off the ledge and go, OK, this is what happens to us at World Cups, which is not the case. Or you can look at it and go, why did they, why have they planned it like this? You know what I mean? Why did they go for a warm weather and then lay into Twickenham? I think...
3: I presume it's something to do with the way the fixtures fell. Um, and this is the only way they could fit in the warm weather. It's just, it's, it is a puzzle. It's designed to make them peak in four weeks' time against Scotland, which they certainly better do. But in the, in, it's come at the cost of undermining quite a few... Issues within the team. Um, most of all, it's got to be so damaging mentally, psychologically, to experience a defeat like that. To trust in each other when it comes to defending, to trust in each other when it comes to a pressure line-out are both seriously undermined. Um, it's raised questions now about personnel and selection with the obvious example, and I hate saying it, but I really do hate saying it, of a 37-year-old skipper who's now had two pretty bad days at the office in terms of his line-out throwing and mastering the line-out. The other problem as well is Whenever you seem to take Devon Tone out of the equation, nobody else seems to be able to call the lineouts. Although even when he came on in the end game, things didn't dramatically improve. There were another couple of lost lineouts, including one that just was basically a try assist for England. He Toje had a great game, didn't he? Got,
4: yeah. well, just That's on standard. the lineout thing, they got Cruz up in front. Just, just let take get yeah. twisted around. They put Cruz up really high at the front, so Bess couldn't see his jumper. But then uh, another
3: time they put a up the front, so best couldn't
4: see yeah, his jumper. was really good, wasn't he? Yeah, in the line, standing, and he tore apart Sean Cronin when he came on. Yeah. So he's not Schmidt's not going to pick Sean Cronin. So it's, it's, it
3: also, you know, it, it's also you've got a new second round there in John Klein, who was very quiet for in terms of the game overall. It wasn't just like Rory Bet Peter Manny was very quiet, CJ Stander was very quiet, and you can say the old guys are struggling. But like a lot of people are saying, the old guys are struggling, but the young guys really struggled as well. Like Tyke Furlong has got bounced back at one occasion. We're still waiting to see the real Tyke Furlong come back into play. It's been a while. Um, Jordan Larmer had, didn't have a good game. Gary Reinrose didn't have a good game. You know, lots of the young, the younger players, Luke McGrath didn't have a good game. The, everybody went down with the ship. Um, but in terms of England, seemed much more match hard, much more ready for this match, done their homework, and of course had the Saracens line-out core of Jamie George, George Cruz, Maro Toge. And they just did a number on Rory we Best's and it was interesting that so many of the protagonists where survivors from the Lions tour, like they really had seemed to have done their homework.
2: Calvin, let's come back to Rory Best for a second. Uh, you were talking there about how England targeted his throwing. First of all, is that something that other teams can and will do as we come on the World Cup? And second of all, if we are experiencing all this worry about Rory Best, is there actually a second option? No, Scannell. The reason why Rory
4: Best isn't a British and Irish Lion, doesn't have caps, he's been on two tours... Is because of this. Like this is not new. Um, under like he he was in line to be the Lions hooker, oh, thirteen, not seventeen, but definitely thirteen, and he threw his way out of it because that's what happened to him. So like it's that's at his peak. You know, he's not at his peak now. He's at the end of his career. Like literally the very end of his career. Um, but. Sean Cronin, every time he's been given an opportunity, he came on there. You come on with Devon Toner, you're like, oh, okay, here's an opportunity. He missed it, missed it badly. Uh, in Rome, he was started, missed it, missed it badly. Best rugby player of them. Niles Scannell, uh, if it wasn't for injuries, I think might have kind of taken hold of this position by now. So I think, without doubt, it's the Ireland captain. You know what I mean? It's the leader of the team. He, he, the, he's he's going to get another opportunity. My concern would be, can a 37-year-old get himself together to save his position next week with a six day turnaround? Does he have the ability physically to get back up and do it? Because he needs to get back onto the pitch with James Ryan and Devon Toner. Ireland have no chance in this tournament if they don't get their set piece nailed on. Um, And that was a major, Henderson was supposed to be the guy who came in a couple of years ago, removed Dev Toner and became the line out caller. A lot of it has to go on his shoulders as well. At one stage, Jack McGrath came over to Rory Best, gave the call to him and Rory Best went, put his arms out to go, what? As in, why are we doing that? You no, know, he goes, no, what? Is it? He, he, there was confusion. It was clear confusion. And then he t- flung it way over uh, the top of Henderson and England marched upfield. There were also
3: gl- issues in terms of timing, in terms of the lifters getting the man in the air. John like Klein a gets a lot <coughs> of
4: responsibility for that because that's what he was Ball doing. Ball slipped two fingers as yeah. well.
3: You know, One or two might have been taken, but there cl- were just missed timings as well. Like <sighs> That's why I hate scapegoating Rory Best mm. because he's been such a great leader for us. and you know, The lineout has functioned very well through a grand slam, two wins over the All Blacks, wins over South Africa, wins and over has Australia. Been, and he's been, been the hooker key to that. And he has been yeah. the hooker. We've got to state that as well. He does have off days. Most of them do. It's one of the most difficult skills on a pitch. Um but it is a slight it is no less than the scrum. It is a collective thing. And again, they just did not look match tuned. They did they I suppose you can do all the practice in the world for a line out, but like until you could throw into a match. Um but yeah it's an issue because he's thirty seven for sure. And he's had it, you see this was a repeat of what happened against Wales and Cardiff as well. That's the worrying thing here. So if it happens again in another warm-up match, like what do you do when you come play against Scotland in your open game? It's a real issue for Joe Schmidt and for Simon Easterby and for the think tank, no doubt.
4: Somebody has to pay the price. So uh, let's presume that Ian Henderson's not going to get another start in the big games at second row. He's going to be, either, well, a six or a brilliant, uh, really good option off the bench because he See, got James a really Ryan's, good game. James
3: Ryan, I know you, know you know, we all love James Ryan to bits, least for, no less than yourself, but he's not a line-out caller either.
4: He's trying to become one, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of stuff trying to happen here yeah. at the moment. And if you flip it around, like England have just got it nailed down, what they're doing. They have, they have players like Vunapola, Owen Farrell, and Underhill are World Cup winning. That's a World Cup winning foundation right there. You can build it off that. Um, Ireland needs... Ford
3: need f- and Farah look excellent together as well. That's a real weapon. Like River.
4: What we know now is from the River evidence, River. If, we, if, we, if we forget 2018, if we look at the evidence of 2019... Irish rugby teams have had four goes against big, strong English teams. The two Saracens matches for Leinster-Munster, England in February, England on Saturday. And there has been. You can sometimes say, oh, we played them five, six, seven, ten, nine, nine times out of ten. Played them four times and got well beaten, well sustained. No answers to the power of Wannapola and the rest of them. Toje was brilliant. So that points to the no matter who comes in the quarterfinal, Ireland just do not have the capabilities to beat that team. Whoever it is, New Zealand, especially South Africa's power game.
1: Okay, well I wouldn't yeah, go quite but, that Yeah, but also this, that's all projecting a month mm. in the future. Let's so like let's this bring this back.
4: This is still a very winnable group. Yeah, you oh, know what no, I mean? no doubt and about Ireland that. Could well, yeah. get
3: to final and then they just need one big performance, yeah. and their semi-finals Now, if it should happen, I know there's a lot of ifs now, more than ever, that Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton particularly rock up to that game in fine fettle, which is a big if because from the word go now, Scotland are going to be after everybody's going to be after, going after Johnny Sexton. Given Murray. the out-half stocks <laughs> look yeah. so slim and thin and. Threadbare, um, and it's not the only position in the pitch that looks a bit threadbare either. But like, you, you can't not say that this is not a winnable group, and if they got to the quarterfinal, they wouldn't have one big performance in them.
1: So let's bring this back to to the weekend. Okay, the the lineout obviously it, that that's sort of the headline defect over over the weekend. But well, what it was, else?
3: It was six lost throws three of which led directly to 21 points for England and three of which cost Ireland attacking platforms so and as Gavin says Ireland don't function without the line out and Ireland didn't have a scrum in the first ever either because England weren't dropping the ball on so if you've, no, if you've no line out platform Ireland are pretty goosed and ironically the Bundy Aki if you trace its origins it actually comes from a line out in the English 22 that hey it worked and Ireland can get through five or six phases and Bunny can use his balance on his feet to score a crack and try that ultimately didn't matter a jot. But it just was almost a little kind of teaser to remind what this team might be capable of if yeah. they get their line-out functioning. The other really serious malfunction on the day was the defence.
2: Like, 34 missed tackles. 34
3: missed tackles. Obviously, the other. that's an even more eye-catching stat than six lost line-outs. Again, they just looked like a side who hadn't done a, hardly a defensive session together. They didn't, didn't seem to no communication. Um... Like, some of the three-step piece tries directly off scrums, first phase. Whew, that's unthinkable. I thought the winners were left incredibly exposed and they're going to cop a lot of blame because they were left to shoot up on men, but the system seemed to leave them very much exposed to two-and-ones and three-and-ones at times because people in the inside were biting in and it was just... It just, like it was and then add in the all the mistakes as well let's not as well. forget
1: the responsibility of the next Irish coach is yeah it?
3: yeah he's like it's a bad
1: day the office you know, for everybody this is Andy Farrell's it, game
3: yeah.
4: it's, it, the, a lot of the defensive stuff can be put down to the impact of Tulagi has a lot. A couple of times it was just a decoy. He runs so hard at the line that it stops a lot of people, and hence it does exposure further
3: out. It's clever. Watson it was like poker because after he'd run through the midfield channels, he'd run through Ross Byrne and Josh Van Der Flier a couple of times up the middle. So they, you play your your your, your two card trick. That's why We're doing this. Then they're they're bracing themselves. for are Bundy's biting in. Everybody's biting in and. Instead they go out the back. They still his got try. though. Legs. his try was
4: not That was a disgraceful defense. They just went eight, nine, eight, 9 twelve, or eight, nine, thirteen. So it two, well, The one off scrum
3: was extraordinary. You're just like, that what are he's strong. doing?
4: Like, yeah, you know, like it, this is these guys have just clearly just been doing fitness training. Then in Portugal, it's it's clearly preseason, and they've gone and gone in against a team that are fully ramped up.
3: That is the word I've heard. I heard Gavin that that's not what they weren't doing the, enough actual like a lot of. Joe Schmidt's um, fitness work is skills based. You know they build it in, so it's not a question of skills, but they weren't doing an awful lot of rugby training sessions, least of all in the past weeks, which left them very exposed for this one. Another thing as well about this as well as that I was thinking about this, Gavin. Time, was, <clears throat> time was we used to always say, "Oh, Irish players are so much better looked after than English players." they've clearly caught up in this regard. Not only do they have naturally bigger men and beasts, but I'm told they got five weeks off during the summer and the Saracens players came back later than everybody else. By contrast, I'm told the Irish players only got three weeks off. I just wonder are they a little bit stale. After everything they achieved in 2018, you throw in a lack of, like, you just need a break mentally as much as physically. I and just Jerry, wonder you know, going to be weeks. You know
4: what the attitude is going to be now? It's going to be work harder. When Ramp it up. We, yeah. Oh, man. if ever you need to burst the bubble and just relax, go on, we're going on gone on a trip of a lifetime, a tour of a lifetime to Japan. We're going to be together for seven, possibly nine weeks. That's If they can get that mentality and out, anything is fixable, but they could go the other way. You've, you, How t- long are
1: they together at this point? Have they been together nine more weeks, or less? Nine
4: weeks, I think. <laughs> you get home and all, all that in odd time, but...
1: but they
3: have that, had a week off, in, I think two weeks off in the middle of it. Yeah, but, but
1: isn't that mad, though, that, that, that if they have had nine weeks, however long they've had together, um, that they look short of rugby, they look short of... They've been
3: that, doing a lot skills. of fitness work, extraordinary like
4: amount of fitness work. The lessons of previous World Cup campaigns, oh, like Jerry, I remember you just being like really, uh, like constructively critical about oh, leading to O three and O seven because there was everyone's, There was a fear of there's writing on the wall and all that.
3: O seven particularly, obviously, uh, yes. Yeah, this is uncanny echoes now. Like t-
4: to t- 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 not have these lessons learned. Uh, that, we, it seems like there's so many lessons haven't been learned. You know what I mean? That they're going back in around. Um, but like, do you feel that? It's as bad. No,
3: I don't. But I do you don't feel actually. like this don't team is it. as good though as no. Those teams. I'm not saying this team is as good. I just don't feel it's as. Div- I don't think it's as divided um, a squad. Like they went to Poland, I'm I'm told, and before '07. And the first fifteen went into choir chambers. The yeah. second fifteen went in, and then the third fifteen went in. It was really mm, that. You it was regimental. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You knew your place yes. in the back in order. You kind
4: yeah. of picked his team though. Pretty nailed on, Luke. Well, this so was something interesting, interesting actually, this, this, Gavin. This,
1: this I was going to say to one. you, you were in here a fortnight ago saying that Joe has basically three calls to make with the squad.
4: Yeah. Not is that the
1: case after the weekend? No, it
4: can't be. Well, <laughs> you know what? They might. Yeah. It might be the case. They might hang on in there, but. You've got to sit down and have a, uh, have a conversation about on-field captain. Like you just, it has to happen now. You know what I mean? They have to sit down and do that. They have to go down and... Schmidt said it. He goes, oh, Eddie, he, he complimented the way Eddie's kind of picking his team and going about it. And, like the Heinz coming in, the scrum half coming in from left field and the way he's going out about it. Schmidt's left field was Klein. Has not worked, clearly. Uh, so they have to sit down and go, do we need to reassess what we're doing here? Uh, do we need to we've been kind of hinting that Ty Byrne's going to be really important do we need to put him centre stage uh, you know what was, was was John Cooney a mistake to cut him they, they, there's a conversations now that need to happen that are that have to be they have to be willing to admit they're wrong and change because it's creeping up now as the, the, the pool stage as you said there's not going to be a problem this Ireland team will get out of that pool unless the humidity which they've Done as much loads of preparation before it gets to them. They're going to beat Scotland and Japan. but mm, Scotland are
3: dangerous, though. <clears throat> they think? could lose that game. Oh, yeah, of course they could. Scotland are dangerous.
4: Yeah, I, I, They're dangerous. Ireland will win the pool, but that's, that'll just cover over the main problems that'll be exposed in the quarter final.
3: I don't see how you can say Ireland will definitely win the pool and, that's, and yet say they're not any good and they're definitely going out or you know what I mean like there's, there's I think, a contradiction there oh, oh, no, well, it's the, the, thing, is, the thing is
4: Scotland and Japan don't have the power game that England and Saracens keep exposing of Irish teams that's it right there they just don't have it and Ireland can cope with whatever's thrown at them except for power games that will be offered by England South Africa New Zealand
3: I don't know if New Zealand is such a power game Devin like Ireland have beaten them the last two times they've played them haven't they or two the last three times
4: yeah but they will they'll go big like even when they got they, they lost for they went and turned. They just gone for bigger second rows. Like th- they will. They they've shown that that they can do it. If they have to, they'll go back and they'll go physically. But I actually think the All Blacks will beat South Africa. So I think it'll be South Africa in the quarterfinals. And Ireland, will that's what, that, that is where we have no evidence that we are able to beat an England or South Africa at the moment. There is no evidence to show so we can do it, unless everything is perfect, as in the set piece is perfect, the scrum, which Sinclair got a turn on Keen Healy, who's now injured. Unless all these things come are stacked together, there's there's just no evidence since November 2018 that we are
3: capable of being a top four team in this world. Not tournament. since then, but there was plenty of evidence before then. Yeah, it's a long time ago now, though. Yeah, ten months ago, it's extraordinary thing that ten months ago, ten at this side were beating the All Blacks. Ten months ago, ten at this side were beating the All Blacks. It's quite extraordinary. But
4: also, let's... the thing li- is,
1: though, the thing is, though, like, remember, all the way through the Six Nations, we were saying they, they, you know, they can't become a bad team overnight. Ten months isn't overnight. Like mm. ten months is, no. you know, that's no, that's I mean, a, a year yeah. is a year yeah. in 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 a, uh, a rugby player's well, life. Now is it? You know, you're talking cl- a, a, a kind of a quarter of a generation. It looks especially, especially if you're, especially if
4: you're 37 years old.
3: Well, it's not just a 37 it's year old. It's all you know. Yeah, this, this is they, true. Yeah, it's like they 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 might just have gone to the well once too often. They just might be. You know, the they, 2018 took so much out of them, and they achieved so much that. Yeah, look, maybe they did peak then.
4: Levy and Sean O'Brien are gone. That's established, and that looks like a looks increasingly like going to be a problem. Van played well, but he doesn't know the impactful tackles and the turnovers that those lads would do. Sexton and Murray are injured right now. Murray's in the HIA, returned to play protocols. Sexton got injured. the Times reported it, and you reported it this morning. Jerry, the Sexton, got an injury in training. It's
3: a minor enough one, though. You know what I mean? Uh, if he doesn't play next week, he'll certainly play the following week. So that's the plan.
4: Carbury and Keane Healy are now the problem. Injured. About that is
3: that the Scots are just going to go after Johnny because because is a I'm hearing, I've heard all along, he's a six-week job, more likely six than four. So that puts him in grave risk of not being right for the first game. But I think you still have to bring him because he covers so much in terms of, he's potentially your third nine, he can cover 15, he can cover 10. He's got an X-factor, there's no Simon Zebo there, sadly. So like, you know, he's the one player with X-factor who can be a second playmaker or an alternative playmaker to Johnny Sexton at that level that's relatively proven. Um, Ross Byrne and Jack Cardy until last Saturday hadn't started a test between them. I think, you know, the, are, like, are really suffering now. for The, the cupboards bare at 10 and 15 because there is no Ian Madigan around. There is no Simon Zebo around. And there's just and now Carberry's injured it's just so they
4: look at Will Addison Conway these guys are going to probably get runs I presume Henshaw comes back Earls, Farrell Chris Farrell it's a brand new backline that should get a run in Wales mm. and it's not a bad backline you know mm. with mm. probably Carty or maybe <clears throat> Ross Byrne gets another chance that's, yeah. that's an interesting enough backline but all of a sudden if you flip all this negativity into a positive all of a sudden Will Addison Chris Farrell uh, are like I can get into this team you know, you know if I go and perform and there's a whole packet like, Jordy Murphy must be there going I can be the Ireland 7 so Jack exactly Jack how, how is that a positive there was a bunch of lads who are quality players who are going to play positive rugby against Wales next <laughs> weekend. Yeah.
2: It's not a positive for Ireland. Yeah, but like, everybody's playing shit, I might get in the team. Well, I, I can sit here and just be
4: like doom and gloom the entire time, but you've got to turn it around and see if you find like what are the angles of this kind of being turned around or how does it yeah, improve, yeah. you know what I mean? We like, just a,
3: don't think enough of Will Addison. Dad. That's your problem. <laughs> well, actually, the, it's, Will Addison, there's a few funny ones in this yeah? squad that like, Will Addison has not appeared yet.
4: Interesting yeah Which is
3: interesting Is he injured or do they trust him Or what's the story there I i think the odds are going against Will Addison making this It has this to be this now. weekend doesn't Has it? to be
4: Yeah and it's the last um, chance Because he was so good Up till his back surgery He was yeah, he really but, looked like a great addition To the Irish
3: team The other thing as well You need going to work up When you've only got 31 players It's quite restrictive In terms of you're going to have A lot of versatility But you also want a lot of Tough durable players as well so if you're taking a chance on somebody like Joey Carberry, I think it means you're taking you're less going to be less inclined to take, take a chance on somebody like Will Addison as well. You take two chances in the squad, really, won't yeah. you? At, at, at the most, you
1: really won't go yeah. to three. No. You won't go to three, three lads that... I, or, on, well, unless
3: they're... Well, particularly if it's a, the 10-stroke 15 yeah. option, and they're both in that void... I, I would, yeah, I agree with you. I would like to see Andrew Conway get a run at fullback. Um, he hasn't had much of a run at fullback, but then again, that goes with Munster as well as Ireland. Munster didn't play much at fullback either. Mike Haley gets picked in the squad, gets picked off the bench in the first game, and then gets cut. It's uh, so now,
2: yeah. You know. Jerry, I was wondering. We'll say it's Schmidt's record defeat. His beating the one from four years ago, which seems to show that the the cycle is completely off, and. Like the team has been in regression for as you say probably 10 months now and we keep making excuses we're kind of saying okay injuries are coming against us oh they've had a warm weather training or oh, they haven't been playing much rugby. Like at what point do we start to blame Joe Schmidt for the fact that the team has been in, in reverse for a year 18 months? Well look you
3: know a record defeat um, is a record defeat and it's under his watch and he has to cop the, the main blame for that. He's the mastermind behind it all. Um no less than Andy Farrell and Simon be have to cop a fair bit of blame as do the players for underperforming. Like it's a collective thing of which he's the head man for sure but like I'm not going to come in here now and start putting the boot into the coach under whom Leinster and Irish rugby have had the greatest time in history and he's the highest achieving coach Irish rugby has ever known and his legacy is going to be huge no matter what happens but it would be tarnished if you had a bad World Cup i.e. a quarter-final heavy quarter-final exit or a pool exit obviously that would that would be a a damaging postscript to his reign. Um, but I still think he's got a huge amount of credit in the bank. And I still I still have some trust in them that this can be turned around to some degree. Like I said, I still think this is a winnable pool and a one-off game quarter quarterfinal. But I would really like to see some evidence over the next two weeks. I think it's absolutely imperative now that they turn up in, in Cardiff next Saturday and are really competitive. I think it's going to be an equally tough game to win the way this could. Warren Cardiff Gatton's. is no
1: place to be going. That is last
3: <laughs> farewell match after twelve year reign. Yeah. A sellout. <laughs> oh Lord! And they're and they're Lots of luck, and fellas. they've had the week off. <laughs> yeah, uh, there just <laughs> oh, let's be competitive. Yeah, and then right yeah. out of the Aviva Stadium Saturday week with a really good our version of what they're getting. There's a lot and of control. The Aviva sellout and a good win three weeks out from playing Scotland. There's
4: a lot of control with the way Joe Schmidt goes about it and everyone stays in line and follows it and all that but I think there might be a, if there's any wriggle room for players to start to take control of their, how they're playing like you hear Eddie Jones talking about the game he goes don't ask me about what happened on the pitch I asked Owen oh, Farlow sitting beside me there's a point now and Rory Best spoke really well in fairness about in, in, after the game when like, he must have realised that this was one of his worst games ever in a green jersey and he spoke really well and really strongly like, I'm. I'm not saying like '07 the English team took over in 2011 the French team took over, but they were they were coaches who clearly like lost the dressing room. Mm. But there has to be a, a middle ground there somewhere where the, the players go, we have to take control of this. We have to take control of how we do this and go about this because if they don't, if they don't show the leadership, and I, you know what I think our one of our our great leadership set in 2007 didn't do that. They let the coaches keep leading them down a road that led to oblivion. You know. So there's a point now that has to be done where players have to step up and take take total control, okay, uh, like well, even this week or something.
1: Well, after that, I think we're still on the ledge. I, I don't think we've hey, yeah, talked down, not talked here down. at all. Uh, so thanks for that, lads, and uh, we'll see you again next week for further adventures from the ledge.
3: <laughs> cheers, lads. Up, cheers.
1: So I had a fine day yesterday, Pat. While all the sports was going on, uh, I was you know I was grassroots man. I was I was at a game. You brought your daughter for her first day out in Croke Park. Her first day in Croke Park. And Pat, there comes a time in every culture's life who lives in Dublin where they bring their offspring to Croke Park for the first time and more importantly, bring them to the fella selling the headbands outside for Mm. the first time and say, there you go. What kind of headband would you like? Can I have a Dublin one, Daddy?
2: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And, And did you say, no, you cannot? I punched her. Hand her a mana and won.
1: (laughs) I beat her out the gate. No, no, no. I said, yes, here's your two euro. You can go and buy whatever one you want. So she was wearing her Dublin headband for the whole day. But she loved it. She absolutely loved it. Uh, She had a great time. And they were, it was uh, the women's football uh, All-Ireland semi-finals. The First time they were ever in Croke Park. And uh, Joanna Reardon, Irish Times columnist, is on to talk to us about it. How are you, Joanne?
5: I'm not too bad. How are you?
1: I am terrific. Uh, I had a great day uh, there yesterday. Uh, uh, Above all, because the games themselves were especially... Well, the first one was especially exciting, and the second one, now, was was fascinating, I'd say. Now, I'm not sure my... uh, and um, my four-year-old really got uh, <laughs> got the epochal nature of uh, of Cork and Dublin and and how their rivalry is built up over the years.
5: No, she was probably look like watching now, going, "Why are they all parking the bus? Why can not Cork break the defence? Why are Dublin running?"
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, listen, it was um, the the second one, a serious game, uh, and right, really changed. Uh, was very very tight up until. Cork missed a great goal chance and Dublin scored there is like 4 minutes later and that that was essentially the gap that was unbridgeable after that.
5: Yeah, it was kind of weird because it was a weird like repeat kind of the All Ireland final mm. last year where it looked like if Cork had got a goal and I actually think it was Anya um, O'Sullivan who had it as well in the final and she just happened to miss it and then Dublin just kind of ran on but as I was saying it to my dad actually came with me and we were just kind of saying you know Dublin were kind of going to pull away after about you know 10 15 minutes into the second half but I didn't think they'd kind of start kind of pulling until you know late on and sure enough once they got the goal um, you know it kind of opened up and I just felt that Cork they didn't have like the creativeness to kind of break mm. down that Dublin blanket you know Kira, I know Darren O'Sullivan they tried a little bit but um, yeah no they just didn't have enough I suppose just to break it down and you know even though they were a little bit composed at the start I could see them getting a little bit frustrated and more angry and kind of you know you could see that as well in the end when Kira O'Sullivan got the yellow cards so yeah
1: I was a bit I must say uh, John I was a bit disappointed with Cork I, I mean I came away from last year's all-Ireland Final, uh, so kind of up for the the next few years between these two teams because I actually went into that final last year thinking, ah, Dublin are going to run away with this, but man, Cork gave them a serious game last year. And I was really up for the same again here. And you're right, like, it, it was almost, they were almost too tentative or they were almost too, they were almost, you could see them trying to hopefully sort of keep it tight until the last, Five ten 10 minutes, be in the game then and maybe nick a winner and I kind of thought that they had more about them than that
5: Yeah, it kind of, you know, like kind of looking like I was at their monster final and um, actually Waterford gave him a good kind of run at the start, like they kind of ran at the defenders and the defenders were panicking and it was actually only afterwards I realised when Ife was kind of doing his post-match kind of uh, press conference and stuff, um, he was saying that I think um, the centre-back um, Eamir Meany and uh, Neve Cotter in midfield, it was actually their first time ever playing in Crow Park and I kind of felt that a little bit kind of amazing because you think like Cork always in Croke Park you know they're always there thereabouts Um, but no he was actually saying a lot of them were kind of pre-match nerves and one of them actually went up to Kira Sullivan before the game and she was like is Croke Park big you know what can I expect and things Mm -hmm. like that and you're kind of looking at Cork and you're thinking geez Corker they're always there like you know um, so I actually think a lot of it for a lot of the girls it was kind of you know first game nerves in Croke Park um, which was a little bit disappointing as well because I kind of thought they would have been a little bit more uh, prepared for that but they always if you kind of watch Cork and even a lot of ladies football in general like you kind of find a lot of them play through the middle so a lot of them will always kind of you know they'll kind of go out wide kind of coming up to the 45 and then they'll always try to plow through the middle whereas Dublin kind of they've sussed that and they've stopped that now completely like no one's going to beat Dublin if you're going to play them through the middle um so yeah I kind of felt once that idea was gone once route one was over they had no nowhere really to go after that
1: and that was why that goal chance was so so crucial because uh she had come in she was just com- kind of coming in from the left and like Hit it with the outside of her boot, trying, trying to aim for the far post, and it, it was it was it was a, a really good attempt, and only was, missed very very narrowly. But they, like that was it because there were so few chances for them.
5: It was actually, and what I found really funny was that Saoirse Shaduna was standing on the pitch, and obviously she plays soccer with Cork City, and you know she was just looking at her, going, "Oh my God, you really tried outside of the boot with that one." <laughs> um, you know, she looked really frustrated. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was weird actually in the second half as well. Like Cork only had four kind of scores, and they were all. From Fries, um from Orlafin, and like that's not good enough, you know, in any kind of day like junior junior football or senior inter county, like it's just not good enough. And uh, yeah, it's something they have to look at in terms of like not relying solely on a lot, like you know, kind of two forwards. You know, I know they rely a lot on Saoirse Noonan for goals. I think she's got something ridiculous, like twelve in the last five or something like mm. that. Um, so yeah, once Saoirse Noonan was kind of cut out of it, then they had no other option really, and they were just relying on Orlafin, and you know, it's just not really like Cork, I suppose. Yeah
1: it's a serious dublin team i mean even as sort of the last 10 15 minutes tick down you saw their 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 kind of main players take over i thought Sinead goldrick in that last 10 minutes was just you know unstoppable yeah, um, and Siobhan McGrath and Sinead Hearn. like they were they were, their sort of main pillars of that team really really sort of governed the last 10 minutes
5: they do and they, they just have a way of kind of like grinding you down and just making you like not just physically tired but mentally tired because you could even see Cork like they were taking pot shots you know I mean Neve mm-hmm. Collins until her sin binning like she was excellent as well and you know Marta Byrne I thought had a great game but then up front you know once Sinead Hearn got into it once Noel was on the field um, it just, they just kind of took over really and that's what Dublin do best like they'll grind you down you know for maybe 40 minutes and then they'll just kick on then for the last 20 and I felt you know they did that actually quite well um, against Cork and Siobhan McGrath as well like she was absolutely all over the field I'd say anything that kind of came her way um, you know she was touching and there was actually like one moment as well um, I think it was uh, the cornerback for Dublin she just happened she lost the ball and you could see she was frustrated and she ran back and she uh, dispossessed um, one of the Spillane girls actually uh, for Cork and she Gave like a fist bump, you know, kind of semi me to the crowd, semi me to herself. And everyone kind of reacted. And uh, you could just tell that was the game changer. And that's when you kind of realised Dublin wanted it that bit more.
1: They will play Galway in the final, uh, which was a, a, an upset. It has to be said, like, they, they, you know, uh, it's Galway's first time in the final since, you, you'll tell me now, is it 05?
5: Yeah, since 2005,
1: yeah. Yeah, like that was... An absolute cracking game. Um, are very So so exciting. Um, uh, but like, Mayo will be kicking themselves that they they didn't come through it.
5: Yeah, I suppose, you know, it was actually one of those games like my brother texted me afterwards, he was watching on TV and he was like, that was such a pure game of football. And I think everyone's just dying for pure games of football. And um, yeah, fortunately now the Galway and the Mayo one actually gave us that. And I thought there was, there was actually a lot of... Um, it was actually getting very helter-skelter coming towards the mm. end. Like, you know, I think Galway had hit two shots off the post. One was nearly a goal. And then Mayo were just kind of like, it's, they're just peak Mayo, aren't they? Like, they just always go for it mm. um, no matter what. And uh, yeah, it was actually, it was a very good game. And in terms of like open and expansive football, I felt it kind of had everything.
2: You were particularly taking Malachy
1: with Neve Kelly's goal. With well, the second Mayo goal now was just, it was a phenomenal <laughs> goal. You know, sometimes you're you're at a game and somebody takes out, and it, and it could be, Hurling football, soccer, rugby, it doesn't matter. And somebody takes off on a run and, you know, uh, about uh, two or three seconds into it, you're going, oh, hang on, go on. Oh, go on. (laughs) And she went and she took on, she beat one, uh, beat another and then got to the 20 and had uh, one Galway player inside her. And you're going, go on. And like, she she actually, there was a pass inside that she could have played, but she actually did a shimmy, went around her, and then top corner. And you just, like the whole, you just, it didn't matter really like obviously if you were supporting Galway it, it would be tough to, to stand and cheer for it but like the whole place kind of went oh my god <laughs> what a goal and it, it was phenomenal
5: yeah it was a sensational goal like in fairness with Eve Kelly like when she gets going like there's absolutely no stopping her and I was actually laughing because even though she went around um, I think it was Grace possibly or maybe um Rachel Kearns once uh, she went around her it, it looked like she never looked back like she looked like it didn't even look her way you know mm. she was like once I have this ball like I'm on the way and that was actually you know it was perfect because I mean, she ran. She ran what felt like the Lintercrow Park. Like you know, you're just looking from a Gobby perspective, and you're like, just put a hand in, just put a hand in. Oh my God, will someone just take one for the team? And she just kept going. But yeah, it was a phenomenal goal.
1: It was brilliant, yeah. You know, she started around midfield. But even even aside from that, um, Joanne, I thought I thought Mayo now for 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 a team that has been around, and I know they've obviously been sort of refreshed and refurbished since last year and everything that happened. I I thought that they. They took a lot of wrong decisions, and and Galway were just that wee bit smarter. I, I I thought in the end, even though it was only by a point, and it was a late free, and and Mayo had a had a late free to equalise, overturn. I thought Galway probably did deserve it oh, if only because they just used the ball a bit better.
5: Yeah, I kind of felt the same like I've no idea what the possession stats were or anything but it felt like Mayo were always on the ball and they were always, like they were gunning down but they just, it was like they didn't know what to do once they came back, like the 45 like once Rachel Kearns was kind of taken out and full mm. forward, um, then they were kind of relying on Grace Kelly and then she was kind of tipping in and out and like Mayo, they always actually, like they will always concede like a dramatic amount, like their, their defence is quite porous, you know, and I know Daniel Caldwell is quite good but she's kind of the only one who looks like she's willing to kind of put her body on the line or whatever they all kind of stand off a little bit um but yeah it was kind of coming towards the final third they just kind of lacked that little bit of creativity and I felt even with Galway they had like a kind of kickout strategy like they always had yeah. girls free and I felt like Mayo struggled a little bit to kind of get on top of that um, but Mayo like they're always a team where you're looking and you're like oh they're they're done like why are we still playing this game and they'll always kind of just seem to kind of bring it back and I suppose for Galway it was a good test for them like you know I know they played them in the kind of final and it was Draw and then they hammered them, I suppose, in the replay. But it was good um, for Galway to get a little bit of a scare because they will have a tough test now coming up against Dublin. But um, you know, for the Leonards now and and everyone else, it's a a good game. And I felt it was actually funny because Louise Ward was kind of one of the players that I tipped to watch for Galway, and she actually dropped back and decided to be a sweeper. But normally, she's known for kind of um, going forward. Mm. So it was actually curious. I was like, how are Galway going to cope, you know, with their main kind of runner not going to be there? they coped absolutely fine. Like, Olivia and um, Devillet, she just, she just powered on. Like, I mean, some of her solo runs, I don't know if you saw it, like, for the first goal, yeah. it was absolutely unreal. Like,
1: mm. they were, yeah, they they were brilliant and they'd created a lot of overlaps and like a really clever running and their two goals both came from just, you know, they had essentially ran the Mayo defence ragged and, and, and left and, uh, you know, had one over at the back post both times to, to score the winner or to score the goal. Um, like big, ta- really tough task for them in the final now, though. Like the, you know. It's going to be uh, like everybody be expecting a fairly one-sided final.
5: Yeah and I suppose like when Galway kind of played Cork in the league final everyone was hoping for a little bit of a, like a good game because Galway had beaten them first in the league and Galway just it was like the occasion got to them and I know they have a lot of young girls and I know you know they'll say themselves that they're kind of building towards something as well but you know it's just it's a huge occasion now for them and like you know you're kind of hoping just even for the sake of ladies football and a spectacle that it's not really kind of zapped out of it you know within the first 10 minutes but uh no, it doesn't. You know, I know no one's kind of going to give him a bit of a tip, but uh, it just doesn't look like, you know, for it, it to be Galway's day. But, you know, I mean, you never know, but um, it's just kind of touch and go. If they can keep him, you know, as I said with Dublin, if they can keep him to the last 10, 15 minutes and then open the game out, then you don't know what could happen. And if Rogin Leonard steps up for another free, you really don't know what's going to happen. Indeed,
1: yeah. Listen, Joanne, thanks a million.
5: Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Take care. And Cheers. thanks to
1: the rugby lads who were in earlier and to Patrick, uh, who's in talking about the cricket. Thanks to you. Had. Thanks, Bob, and thank you to Declan behind the desk. And we will talk to everyone next week. Cheers.